welcome to the Beyond the Reef podcast, where I talk to experts and researchers in the reef aquarium hobby, discussing a broad range of topics from biology to equipment and chemistry. We take a deep dive into our guests' methods, techniques, and top reef keeping tips. My name is Adam Sutherland, and I am the owner-operator of Frag Garage Corals, based out of British Columbia, Canada. My guest for this episode is Leo Dembrayen, who is the head of Leonardo's Reef, based out of the Netherlands. Leo has been keeping reef aquariums for over 20 years, founded Leonardo's Reef in 2009, and has specialized in pretty much exclusively, as you'll see in this conversation, uh, only cultures Acropora species, which is uh, uh, true to my heart as well. We covered a lot of ground on this episode from products he uses to his acquisition of corals, his really strict quarantine protocol. And if you go to his website at leonardosreef.com, you can have a look at some of the frags that he sells and they are super healthy and super colorful and very generous sizes. Leo's systems have been featured in Reef Builders and Reef Hobbyist Magazine as well. If you wanna check out some of his builds, there are some threads on Reef Central and thereeftank.com. I will link to these websites and any of the products we discussed on this episode. If you want to support this podcast, the best thing you can do is subscribe and share it with other people in the reef and saltwater community. And here is my conversation with Leo Dembrain. All right, man. Uh, yeah, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I appreciate Thanks, uh, you making the time because you're kind of on a fairly different time zone. So you're in, are you in Holland or where are you again? Yeah, I'm in Holland, close to uh, Amsterdam. So uh, yeah, it's uh, I think uh, almost a ten hour time time difference. Yeah, roughly. yeah, like nine hours. Yeah. yeah, yeah, cool. So it's my morning, your evening, but uh, this is a this is a good time for both of us, I think. So I got some coffees in yeah. me. You're probably getting in the winding down for the day mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell me about your how you run your business and kind of what what the situation is. Is it is it home based? Do you have a like facility? Like, is it a one man show? Uh, well, it's um, a small facility um, close to my home, uh, about 20 minutes drive, so it's easy uh, easy to commute. Um, I moved in here roughly two years ago. It's mm -hmm. around uh, 90 square meters. And um, yeah, I, uh, I started two years ago um, coming from a smaller facility, a very small, very small unit that I also rented before this. Yeah. And um yeah, it's uh, I have a two-story facility right now, forty on the uh, or forty-five on the ground floor and forty-five on the first floor, and I started on the ground floor with uh, roughly three thousand liters, roughly yeah, yeah, okay, uh, eleven eleven hundred gallon, and yeah. um, I'm currently currently expanding to the first floor. Oh wow, okay, so you got a lot of how are quite a few of the systems tied together. How many systems are there actually? Um, I have two systems down, two systems downstairs, um, uh, next to two quarantine tanks and upstairs will be one system. Cool. Yeah, that's nice. I yeah. mean, I think one of the things once you start expanding is the more systems you can tie together, the better, because just maintaining the parameters of multiple systems is what kind of takes up all the time. I think it's not so much even the volume, it's the, the time that just goes into making those systems run optimally. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, every every new system means um, um, more, you know, testing um, all the equipment that comes with it. Uh, also, doubles or triples. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's a lot more work. The more systems you have, actually. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, and um, I guess I was going to ask you about this a little further in, but we can kind of jump to this. Um, are you doing regular ICPs for your systems? Yeah, we do monthly ICPs for mm -hmm. every system. Yeah. Um, we don't really measure uh, with ICP, so we don't adjust by ICP, but it's just um, you know an extra check for us to uh, to see if everything's running within uh, within their boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, but we actually only correct by doing water changes. Yeah. So okay. We don't, so you don't, you uh, we don't steer. No trace element. We don't steer on any. No. 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 Yeah. No. Only like uh, the 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 trace elements that come in bulk. So everything more of an all-in-one solution mm -hmm. so we don't dose individual traces yeah have you is there a reason for that like did you find dosing individual traces you've noticed some negative effects or you just find that the, everything looks good as is yeah first of yeah first of all everything looks looks good um and uh we tried some uh individual uh, dosing uh before we didn't see any benefits we dosed uh, vanadium manganese uh, mm -hmm. separately. We didn't see any benefits actually, really? uh, so we stopped. Mm -hmm. And I think w one ICP a month is not enough to really fine tune any consumption of trace elements. Mm -hmm. At least that's that's my opinion. So I think uh, doing regular water changes combined with ICPs and and more of a broad general uh, dosing of uh, trace elements makes more sense, mm -hmm. at least for us. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, I definitely find I do ICPs roughly once a month and there's certain things that are depleted on the regular. So I try to, so I'll add iron. I feel like that's a trace that gets used pretty quickly. And uh, it seems to have a fair bit of significance in terms of biological use, you know, among the things we grow. So, um, so, but you find, so your ICP is more of just like a, a check for anything that's super out of, out of whack. Yeah, uh, you know, some traces come up low and we don't really worry about that mm -hmm. uh, too much uh, because we do dose an all-in-one solution every day. Mm -hmm. So, they, you know, all the organisms get at least some every day. Yeah, some is better uh, for, than nothing for sure. I mean, you know, yeah. you know, it's being used if it's if it's disappearing. So, yeah, that's yeah. our philosophy as well. Yeah. Uh, so mostly the ICPs for are more for the for the the more major elements. Uh, mm -hmm. We dose a lot of uh, bulling trace or uh, bulling elements: mm -hmm. uh, calcium, alkalinity, magnesium, potassium, uh, strontium. So we want to make sure those are within their normal uh, limits. Yeah. yeah. Because um, if at some when your dosing pumps are a little bit off, sometimes uh, those. Uh, Numbers can change really fast when you have a very high consumption. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you have uh, a so huge we wanna... amount of coral, it's it, things change a lot faster, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we want to make sure those are really uh, spot on because we noticed if they are, you know, uh, not optimal, uh, you will notice uh, big changes uh, very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, something I've been really curious about talking to you about is some of the differences in in Europe in the reef hobby versus North America. I mean, I would say United States and Canada, we have probably similar electrical costs. Um, 
I, I mean, I'm in British Columbia, Canada. We have tons of water here. Our water cost is pretty reasonable. Um, but I've heard in Europe that the electrical cost is like double or quite a bit more. So that's probably something you have to keep in mind when in a big facility like yours. Yeah, I, I don't know the exact numbers in the U.S., but I know for sure gas prices, electricity prices are, are much lower in the U.S. and Canada than, yeah. than over here in Europe. Yeah. And over the last couple of years, the last two, three years, uh, they've risen substantially, especially the last year. Mm -hmm. uh, they are coming down a little bit, but um, I think electricity uh, costs over here are, are much more important than uh, than uh, in North uh, North America, for sure. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I, I, I don't really, uh, I'm not really onto saving energy that much. Uh, I see, you know, all the energy that we use as a, you know, a necessary yeah, uh, yeah. thing to, to grow the corals. Um, and it's it's only a part of the total, uh, you know, expenses yeah. because uh, if you compare it to water and, and uh, rental, mortgage, uh, everything, um, it's only a small factor. So yeah. we don't worry about electricity too much. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. I mean, you know, a few frags a month, a month or a couple orders a month should probably cover the majority of your, your electrical costs. I would hope, you know, I mean, corals aren't cheap and they're probably not cheap in Europe either. <laughs> no, but yeah, actually, if you, if you compare the, the, price of frags and, and, and corals in, in, in Europe, they're, they're substantially lower than in the US yeah. uh, and I think also in Canada. So uh, I think also what it's also what consumers are willing to pay mm -hmm. for it. Mm -hmm. And for I think sure. that's still uh, less than in uh, North America for sure. Mm -hmm. But you know, um, energy is just something you need to grow corals. So it's, yeah. it's uh, yeah, you inevitable. cannot get away with uh, anything else. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, it, there's yeah. little things that help, obviously. I mean, I've uh, kind of gotten away from light sources that generate a lot of heat, so I don't have to worry about cooling the space as much. My space, I mean, I have a, a mini split that keeps the, the room at the temperatures I want it. But um, yeah, you can definitely, uh, I, I feel like you can cut down a little bit of cost by using more DC pumps, um, obviously LED lighting. Um, you know, those things do add up. Um, actually, one thing I'm not sure if you do this, um, but it saved me a lot of money was I started heating the room of uh, like the room of my facility at night instead of running the heaters on my tank. So my heaters are there only as a safety if they have to come on. But otherwise, the space just stays at um, I mean, I run it cooler in the day, but at night it just goes to 78 and the tanks stay around 77, 78 Fahrenheit. So. Yeah, yeah, same here. Um, um, we do uh, heat and cool the whole room. Mm -hmm. um, of course, cooling uh, makes sense, uh, you know, but also the heating right now, we uh, use inverter uh, uh, heating instead of using the, the elements, uh, mm -hmm. uh, the titanium elements, because those titanium elements are easily three, 4,000 watts. Yeah, and, and it's crazy. In the winter, in, in the winter, they're basically on for at least 12 hours a day. So, it really, uh, you know, it <laughs> yeah, it uh, be becomes a big bill very quickly. Yeah, I noticed a big difference. I mean, I don't have the volume that you do, but I'm probably saving hundred to one hundred and fifty a month in the winter time just from running, uh, <laughs> from not running heaters, and they're still there. But I feel like it's a, uh, it's a nice option because I've, a point of failure in anybody's system is is your heater and your heat heat controller. You know, regardless, like I mean, I have redundancy, but there's always a chance of something happening. So, yeah, for sure, definitely yeah. for the peace of mind. So, I guess another thing is in terms of your, uh, you know, the European uh, coral selling kind of world for you. Are you able to ship 
uh, you're able to ship to other countries in the European Union, I would I would think, right? I think I saw on your website. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Our local market within the Netherlands is it's quite small. You can I think it's even smaller than a state, mm-hmm. uh, or much smaller than a state compared to Canada or the US. Uh, so fortunately, we're able to uh, ship corals in in all of the European Union, cool. um, which covers most countries in Europe. Um, so that that expands our customer base uh, by by many many million uh, millions of, of reefers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a very fortunate thing and. Um, yeah, otherwise it, it wouldn't be possible to uh, to yeah. sustain a business like this. Yeah, so you don't have um, there's no concerns with the, with CITES like if it's within the European Union, it's basically like you can just freely ship within from country to country. I mean, your countries are a lot smaller and closer. You know, you know what I mean. Like it's like if you look at Canada or the U.S., it's a huge, huge <laughs> landmass, right? So essentially, it's almost like every province of Canada is like a European country. So, but, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's been difficult to like, I would love to get more stuff from, from the States and we have strict, uh, guidelines for, for shipping corals, even if they're aquacultured, uh, other than zoanthids and, and some soft corals, um, which don't require ascites, uh, it's very difficult. I get phone calls and messages all the time from customers wanting me to ship to the States. And I'm just like, I just like, I can't even answer people anymore because <laughs> it just drives me crazy. I wish I could. Yeah, I actually have the same. I also get messages from people in the U.S. Can you, oh, can you please ship to uh, to the U.S. or is it possible or can we arrange something? I said, well, I, I would love to, but it's just not possible. Yeah. Uh, and, and and also the other way around, I would love to get some corals from the U.S., but mm-hmm. but it's, I think, close to impossible or at least very expensive to, to be able to do that even. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I feel your pain in that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely a lot of the name, uh, you know, U.S. major U.S. name name pieces that I have have been kind of essentially snuck over here, or kind of, you know, they've been brought over in a way that's, you know, maybe maybe somebody went over the border and put it in a water bottle, or you know, they're like Walt Disney got into Canada like I don't know ten or so years ago, and you know, it's a it's cool to see where coral goes from being brought in to the amount of people that have grown colonies and sold frags and and uh, you just see how it spreads it's it's pretty cool actually yeah for sure you know also the Walt Disney and the other named corals are sold here I think in most cases it's it's not a real deal but maybe in some cases it is but if it is, it must have been gotten here, not in a very, you know, yeah, uh, official totally. way, at least. Yeah, and, and I think, I mean, there's certain things that, you know, you're going to see the same morph of, of that tenuous or that species. And, and I, I'd rather you name it Walt Disney than try to give it a different name. I mean, <laughs> it makes it more universal because you know how the name game gets, especially with um, the amount of mariculture corals coming in these days. And, and a lot of those farms are just mass producing the same from the same broodstock. So it's hard to find stuff that's quite unique. Um, yeah, actually, on that note, um, one coral that I have never seen come from a mariculture supplier is Orange Passion. Do you guys have something like Orange Passion? Yeah, we have some, not not the official, you know, the, yeah. the official strain, but we 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 definitely got uh, some tenuous that are very close to the Orange Passion yeah. uh, for sure. Yeah, uh, but that's basically what my my job nowadays is next to taking care of the farm is just really hunting for those very special uh, individual uh, uh, colonies or frags mm-hmm. uh, because you know 
like you said, most corals are, are so common or so so much uh, m many imported imported by the thousands. Mm -hmm. Uh, that finding a very unique strain or a morph is, is, is just very hard. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, then you have to, uh, you know, quarantine it and grow it out. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's uh, part of the fun. But yeah, you never know because like some of these suppliers, um, like they have certain amount of brood stock. They have to apply for permits to collect new brood stock. I mean, I'm talking Indo suppliers. Um, and then it's like, I don't know, like every once in a while, there might be something that they just don't have a lot of that piece or like, you know, you just end up getting this morph that's just a little different or something. But it's it's hard to like, I like, I, how would you say out of like, let's say, out of an order of 100 acros, let's, let's say, if you were to order from a standard supplier you order from, out of 100, how often would you get a piece that maybe you're like, I don't think I've seen this one before? Uh, we, we, first of all, we never import ourselves just yeah. because 99.9% .9 is too common. Mm -hmm. uh, but if we if we go to wholesalers or importers, I think one in every hundred uh, corals is is really something that catches our attention. Yeah, um, and, and we will take it home, or at least uh, if it's possible or it's not already sold, we will try to take it home. Uh, but I say one in a hundred, roughly, yeah. uh, in every shipment, and the rest is, you know, the rest is beautiful for sure. But mm -hmm. um, it's just not that unique uh, strain that you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think the other thing that we will start to see here and there is uh, like morph variations, like green fluorescent protein infections, things like that. Um, I know there's, uh, I know Bali Aquarium is good for spotting like weird little anomalies in their corals. So um, yeah, I would say they, they put a lot of attention into their collection and propagation. Yeah, um, yeah, we recently got the, I think they have the the, the grafted tenuous, uh, yeah. a little bit of a bluish gray uh, golden uh, tenuous. We actually got it recently. Oh, sweet, cool. Uh, yeah, so so that's, uh, it's very exciting. It's still in quarantine. So uh, yeah, fingers crossed, but um yeah, uh, sometimes you really get those unique grafted pieces or the really oddballs. Uh, yeah, yeah, those are that's... the ones that you, uh, you know, you have to get your hands on. <laughs> yeah, you got to sure. hold on to those for sure. Have you yep. uh, had much access to Malaysian SPS or any, any Malaysian corals? Well, officially not, of course. Yeah. I think it's still a little bit of a, of a gray area. Yeah. Um, Maybe even slightly you... illegal. <laughs> we don't yeah, know for sure. I... Yeah. Uh, so officially, no, and and uh, you know when you ask about it, they will they will of course deny it. But you know, knowing seeing a lot of corals from Australia and Indonesia, um, you notice you know the corals look a little bit different or different sizes or different uh, frag plugs or whatever. Yeah. So so I have suspicions that they might come from you know not Indonesia and not Australia. But I don't know for sure. Yeah, uh, you, you will never know. And and all the societies, everything matches up. Mm -hmm. uh, we are very strict about that. But but you know, sometimes you have your suspicions, but, yeah. but you can never prove it. Yeah. Well, How yeah. About you? I mean, I've I've been trying to get my hands on some of those speciosa and, and Malaysian SPS because I mean, honestly, like some of the best looking stuff I've ever seen. And I, I don't know. I don't know if I can tell you I've seen. A lot of people grow those speciosa from a frag to a large colony. I don't know how easy they are to keep, but uh, man, they are awesome. Like just, I mean, to see them in person is like 
like the internet you could photoshop the crap out of it and you probably wouldn't do it justice it looks that good in person <laughs> you know so yeah i would like to get some of that stuff but it's uh yeah we'll yeah. see we'll see how things things go i mean things are either gonna potentially get easier to get but i think probably harder to get you know yeah you never know you you saw what happened with the whole uh, indo ban a couple of years ago um yeah never never take for granted that you know you get all these uh, shipments from indonesia and australia because you never know it, it can just be over within one day yeah definitely um and I'm prepared yeah. for that, to be honest. I mean, I'm I'm farming enough coral now that I feel like I I can sustain. It's just the the difference is you're not going to have anything new, or the only new things you're going to have are what you can trade within the hobby, right? Yeah. So so you know, if import stops, it's you know it, it it's got it's gonna it's gonna change. Um, I think you you can still hunt for those special species, but they will come from different farmers or different hobbyists instead of just imports. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we're prepared for it as well. I think we have roughly about 300 Acropora species right now because we, we actually only farm Acropora and, and not Montipora mm -hmm. and Agonio. We actually really, you know, I don't really care about those. Really? Things. So just yeah. Acros? You don't have any yeah, just... Euphelia or anything like that? Wow. Nice. Yeah, and I mean... Yeah, I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm very niche uh, within a niche, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, your yeah. corals on your, like, the pictures of your stuff look very, very nice. Like, nice frags on your site, too. Nice, chunky, chunky, big frags. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's, uh, I, I'm, I would say SPS are my primary coral that I grow and sell, and I'm probably the most passionate about, but I've done pretty well growing Euphelia. I've got... Uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of heads of hammers and torches that I've grown from my own, my own starters. So um, it's nice to be able to say that they're fully aquacultured too. Yeah, for sport, for sure, especially with the torches uh, and, and a lot of, uh, you know, issues that, 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 that exist with imported torches at the moment. Yeah. I think it's good to see a little bit more uh, uh, euphelia being aquaculture right now. Yeah, yeah for sure. Totally. And I've had some uh, breeding too. I've had a few torch torches end up on my egg crate, little little baby torches. So I've isolated them and moved them on to frag plugs. So I would love if I could, or you know, if the hobby started to get a bit more information about what what triggers it, and if we can kind of get it down to a bit of a science, because I think that's definitely a, a future of the hobby thing is to get it more into breeding. Yeah, for sure. Uh, upstairs, we will also have like um, a dark room where we can uh, we can do a little bit more uh, spawning experiments cool. Cool. because I think it's you know it, it is the future of the hobby for sure, and um, I think you have to stay on top of it. And um, so so that's definitely where something where we're looking into uh, much more. Uh, uh, yeah, in the coming uh, coming months and years. Yes. Yeah, I mean another aspect to that too would be uh, potential cross pollination of morphs because I mean you know speaking of say shutting down importing, how are we going to get new corals? Well, if we start being able to merge some of these morphs together, like we're going to get some interesting corals out of it. One of the torches I have that's one of the best uh, holy grails that's that's in the game is a, is a torch that was was actually a supplier in Montreal had them breed in his system. And I've seen holy grails come in from the wild and none of them look as good or are as hardy as that one. So, you know, that's a really cool example of, of where that can where that can go eventually. Yeah, for sure. You know, if we if we ever get to the point we can crossbreed uh, corals 
as we do with plants and we can really select for certain shapes and colors and and, and, and growth forms, uh, yeah, that would be great. But I think that's <laughs> pretty something cool. for the future. Yeah, yeah. very getting yeah. very scientific. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so back to the uh, the European style reefing. Uh, I'm curious, like, what are the popular brands and methods you guys use? Um, I, I know you have some good companies, obviously, um, like Fauna Marine is 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 in Europe. You've got Aquaforest. Um, yeah. What are you primarily using there? Uh, we use almost exclusively Tropic Marin because okay. we also work we work together with them. So cool. uh, yeah, that that makes sense for us. Um, so that that can that means the the bottling method, uh, the the pro reef salt, and the trace elements and uh, and the food. Yeah. Um, we try to keep it as simple as possible. We don't use a lot of additives next to uh, you know the basics. Um, but all the basics that we use are from uh, Tropic Marin at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we we have great success with them, so we're we're not uh, willing to experiment with uh, with other brands. No, that's um, great. And uh, yeah, it's funny because I was going to ask you about that. But um, so, is your primary major element? Uh, are you doing like a two part, three part kind of solution with balling with your balling trace mixed in, or does the trace yeah. added separately? Yeah, traces are added separately, um, and uh, next to that we have a balling three part, so A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, you know you don't have to worry about any, any uh, ionic imbalance that will occur after a while. Mm -hmm. um, but we do add the traces separately just for safety measures. Mm -hmm. We always add, actually add the traces by hand every day. Yeah, um, and we. We next to the traces, we do add a little bit of extra iodine, also yeah. by hand every day. Um, but that's it basically. Yeah. And uh, only, only the calquaser and the balling is on uh, automation, mm -hmm. and the rest is all done by hand. Yeah. Still. Yeah. No, yeah. I I think that's especially with trace elements. If you're adding them manually, like just for the safety precision factor of it, it's it, it makes sense to me. And I guess also yeah. you were saying that you do ICPs, but you don't make adjustments to the trace necessarily. I suppose if you're adding the trace component of the Tropic Marin, um, you're probably you're probably adjusting your IC, you, how much you add based on your ICP. I would imagine, right? Like if you notice over like the the trend is that your trace are dropping, you're probably going to start dosing an extra you know couple mils or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We just don't want it. Uh, we don't want it to see accumulate or or certain uh, elements accumulate. So as long as uh, all the traces are in check or a little bit on the low side, we're actually happy. Mm -hmm. So yeah. we try to keep. Uh, we try to keep. Um, you know, the demand. Uh, keep keep up with the demand, but try to keep it on the little bit lower side than on yeah. the higher side just as a safety uh, precaution. Yeah. 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 And I've been actually curious about that, um, about raising a particular element, like maybe slightly above natural seawater to see if you get any benefit from it. Uh, like I was curious about iron. Like I feel like if, if you're if dosing too much iron, your corals are going to turn a little bit green. But um, actually, this is something I wanted to ask you about was um, I've sort of noticed some of the acros that I have that should have the metallic green in the base, I find um, like the convexa type species or would they have it PC rainbow is one of the popular ones in the States. Um, it's kind of lost a lot of that fluorescent uh, metallic pigment in the base. Um, is there anything you would say you attribute to that in particular? 
Yeah, could could be a, could be a certain uh, could be certain trace elements. Uh, what I'm thinking of uh, is is iron. Uh, mm-hmm. Could be a little bit of nit- nitrate sometimes make a difference, but also uh, bromine, uh, manganese. I think those can contribute to the green color. Yeah. But it's very hard to say, you know, which one it is actually. Um, so you just have to experiment individually. Um, but in general, I think I'm not. I'm trying to avoid too much green pigment actually yeah. because uh, the the yellow golden corals are are, are very popular. Uh, yeah, and you want customers. them yellow. You want them as yellow as possible. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. So we, we we always try to stay on the low side with the traces, also for that reason. Yeah. Especially with with the iron and 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 and, and certain other elements, like I mentioned. Yeah. Just to uh, you know to enhance that green uh, coloration instead of. Uh, or an, uh, yellow instead of green. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm I wondered because you think metallic pigment, you think it has to do with with uh, you know trace metals, but it's also just more of a uh, the coral pigmentation is reflecting light in a way that appears to be metallic to to our eyes. So um, it's hard to say. I'm I'm gonna I've been putting a little bit more regularly i've been adding iron as an experiment to see if it changes it because i know my my nutrient levels are in the in the area i want them to be um most of my other trace are all kind of sitting in in you know a reasonable range so um i figured it's worth a shot um i, I won't let my iron go too high but i'm going to just try raising a little if the yellow corals start going green i'll probably back it off but it's not like it's going to be this thing where i walk into the room one day and the corals are all green <laughs> so no no for sure yeah yeah and i think iron is is used up and also bound to different other elements like like phosphate so quickly that if you really overdose it or 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 dose it in a high high dosage it it, it will basically um be unmeasurable again within within yeah. a couple of days yeah for so sure especially it's not I a think big deal. if you're running any nutrient export um via uh algae uh, scrubber or or refugium or whatever i think that uh, you know plants are very good at pulling out some of those metals yeah for sure yeah yeah, yeah. so are you doing anything for nutrient reduction other than growing a lot of coral um like are you running anything particular like me personally i'm adding phosphates and nitrates to the system daily yeah we we don't uh we don't export anything other than water changes uh, with water changes and and skimming Mm -hmm. Uh, so we don't use any roller mats or filter socks um so basically skimming is our main uh, export but i would say like coral growth is is the the most important yeah export method of of nutrients it's really the best too. Uh, (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's uh, yeah it's definitely the best um and we don't add a lot of nutrients other than than food basically mm-hmm. so we don't add, add any liquid phosphates or nitrates we just try to add more more food so we, we try to really be on the front side of of the of the import of nutrients uh, in the form of food um, also powdered food liquid foods a lot of different frozen foods and if phosphate or nitrates show up a little bit low we just feed a little bit more yeah uh, or we dry, or you skim a little bit drier, uh, yeah. you know. Uh, but but we don't add any phosphates or nitrates in liquid form. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually um, program my skimmer to turn off um, when my pH hits. Uh, my pH runs pretty high because of the calc that I use. Um, so when my pH hits eight point four five, my skimmer turns off, which means my skimmer is off for about 
six to eight hours a day. And I feel like that also kind of coincides well with the window of time where the corals are probably growing and consuming the most. Um, so, you know, that, uh, that's kept my nutrients a little bit higher too, but I still have to dose, dose phosphate and a little bit of nitrate, uh, here and there. And I do notice it in the corals. I mean, if, if there's anything that impacts coral color, like it's, <laughs> if anybody's asking about it, the first thing I ask them about is nutrients. Yeah, for sure. If you want to have deeper colors, uh, you know, more, more clear color. Uh, of course, you know, excess nutrients can can also diminish the color, but uh, low nutrients can really, uh, you know, have a very bad impact on colors, especially yeah. I think phosphates are very important yeah. for uh, health and, and vitality and coloration of, of acros. Uh, nitrates, I, I always, you know, they always show up very low in my yeah. case, uh, but I don't do any you know anything uh, harsh to 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 really re try to raise them except except what, for feeding what would you say is your, um, your kind of sweet but, spot range that you shoot for for nitrates and phosphates well nitrates around one to two ppm okay um sometimes they show up a little bit lower mm -hmm. then i will eat a little bit more especially when the corals are you know in a growth spurt or i added a new system they can show up a little bit lower mm -hmm. um and phosphates are run typically around 0 0.06 ppm, 0 0.05 to 0 0.08. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and it basically stabilizes its, uh, the system stabilized on, on those parameters and I'm not trying to adjust it in any way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, you're probably a little bit of a tighter ratio than the 100 to one that some people talk about, but I would agree. I have yeah. had low nitrates sitting in that one to two range and my phosphates around 0.05 to 0.07 and things look super happy um you know that seems to be a, a pretty yeah. supportive area but you know i've also seen systems where the the nitrates are 20 and the phosphates are 0.1 to 0.2 and and those systems work really well too so um yeah i, I mean it's i feel like every system like kind of wants to it wants to find its settling point you know, and sometimes like that can get out of balance, obviously, um, depending on what you feed and certain certain things you do. But I, I definitely find like if you just leave a system alone and you let it establish, it'll kind of find its nutrient kind of base point. Yeah, if, if you don't mess around too much and you have your your fixed, um, uh, you know, way of maintaining the tanks. It just sets in a certain sweet spot, and, yeah. and, and I don't try to alter it too much. I, I try because of the ra the ratio in my case is really off. If you you know uh, have to trust other other hobbyists because mm -hmm. the nitrates are lower. actually uh, much lower than they should be. So I try to experiment with uh, adding nitrates in a liquid form, and and it just you know had a very bad impact on on coloration mm -hmm. and growth. Hmm. Uh, both both really you know uh, were negatively impacted so i just stopped doing it and and just uh you know let it let it uh, let it go where it, where it wants to be hmm. what yeah. would you say was the noticeable impact from dosing nitrates directly well the the, the consumption consumption of alkalinity and calcium was ne neg negatively impacted mm -hmm. almost directly mm -hmm. Um, and just the coloration became much too dark. The, mm -hmm. the yellows became more green, but also, you know, all the purples became very dark. Yeah. Um, I, it just, 
it wasn't an improvement for yeah, us. Yeah, so. no, it's a reminder to just use your eyes and look at the corals. And, and you know, if the corals are healthy and happy, um, then don't mess around with it. Um, that being said, I do strongly believe that a complete bottom out of phosphates can cause acros to RTN. I, I really believe that. Um, because I, I've seen I've seen corals start to go great looking, healthy looking acros uh, at a time where I, I did a bit of testing and my phosphates have been testing zero for about a week or two, um, which I try to not let happen ever. But it does happen. Sometimes it just it just creeps down and it is what it is. Yeah, for sure. We, last year, we also had an issue with uh, with the phosphate levels. They, they uh, really uh, at some point they became too high. Um, and then we try to lower them um, a little bit too quickly, mm -hmm. and yeah, that, that's that's never a good plan. No. Um, so <laughs> so I think no, I think phosphates are, are much more crucial actually than, than nitrates. Um, and and if you try to keep your phosphates uh, measurable around 0 0.05 to 0 0.1, and try to keep them at least a little bit stable, I think it's very yeah. beneficial for uh, for your. Uh, Acros, yeah, I totally least. agree, yeah. especially uh, Millipora. I really noticed um, Milliporas start to lighten up and, and lose some of their vibrance when phosphates got too low. Yeah, so for sure. It's definitely a they, they like a little bit more richer water than, than mm. some other acros. Yeah, mm, for sure. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm not going to get too into the really standard parameters uh, questions, I'm, uh, unless you do anything particularly different. Like, are you in the alkalinity 8, 8 to 8.5? Do you do anything obscure, would you say? No, not really, because we, we do a lot of water changes. Maybe yeah. that's obscure, obscure nowadays. Uh, we do around 15% every week. Mm -hmm. um, so typically our, our parameters are really in line with uh, the, the new water that we add, yeah. um, which are pretty standard. Yeah, actually. okay. Yeah. So the, yeah. Yeah, the Tropic Marine, uh, pretty, pretty much what their uh, yeah. reef salt mix has is kind of what you're running. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's yeah. smart. I, I like I like the the idea of just sticking to that that range. Um, do you think? Okay, so would would you say there's any product or change that you've made over the years where you were like this absolutely made an improvement on the system? We talked about something that made a negative uh, detriment to the system was the nitrate addition. But is there anything you would say like a product you started using or something you just shifted and you're like this for sure? did a good thing for my corals um yeah it's pretty boring but i i, I don't think <laughs> so I, I think that i think the most important thing for us was um switching to mostly frozen foods and and fresh algae in, in compared to to dried pellet mm, foods mm -hmm. that made a huge impact on on, on our corals health health um, so we try to feed a uh, very diverse uh, range of frozen foods on a daily basis, uh, like fish eggs, lobster eggs, mm -hmm. um, certain plankton, scopopods, uh, uh, is of course. Yeah. Um, also phytoplankton we add. Uh, so I think that whole range of, of, of foods that we add made a huge difference compared yeah. to, you know, easy just flakes or, or pellets that, that you know, it, it's much easier, especially in a farm situation, but um, they were just uh, not feeding or, or contri contributing to the coral's health uh, yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, but in products, I think iodine. I think iodine is 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 one of the most crucial elements that uh, you have to uh, keep in check and and uh, add on a daily basis. I think. Yeah. Uh, 
if you if you want to keep healthy acros, you have to be on top of your iodine uh, addition. So since we adding since we add that on a daily basis, um, we've seen much improvement. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Daily iodine. Yeah. I uh, I would probably say I feel similarly about potassium as well. I would say if you're going to kind of pick two element. I mean, potassium isn't really technically a trace element. It's it's a pretty major element. But um, you know, if you're going to pay attention to anything, those should be the two that you you care about outside of you know, yeah. the major alkalinity calcium magnesium so yeah yeah uh, potassium uh, strontium as well uh, we always keep them in check um by our you know monthly icps we, we make sure they're they're staying in range but our experience is that if you do like regular water changes they, they will stay in check mm -hmm. um and they're also i think i think they're also in our part c balling actually there's a little bit of uh, strontium and potassium in there as well so so they, they will never be be too low but i agree that a low potassium level can be detrimental especially for the montipora species right yeah definitely. or do you also see your also in your acros or where do you see yeah the most, i've uh, seen i've seen a like a like a very direct correlation in a system that was low in potassium where uh, uh the uh, acropora natalensis or rainbow loom they call it here um that one it just would not do well in a certain system and when i finally brought up the potassium it was good to go it was it was low it was like 320 330 and so i slowly uh, brought yeah. it up to 400 <laughs> yeah. and it was like yeah it was, it was great so um you know we it's it's nice when we can get some hard evidence of things like it's it's we're often changing things but how often are we doing one thing at a time and really waiting to see how it plays out <laughs> it's hard especially yeah, when you're in panic all, mode all, yeah if you're in panic mode yeah for sure it's, <laughs> it's you know all of our observations it will always be anecdotal for i think for all all reefers but maybe if we combine all the information that we gather uh, together we can make some sort of a make sense out of it mm -hmm. right um yeah but definitely a low low uh, potassium level can can be detrimental. We we experienced actually we experienced it in uh, some Monty caps mm -hmm. in the past. Um, they will become really pale and uh, and bleach out when the potassium level is really low. So mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, this is kind of a funny one, but uh, what would you say as far as products and methods that are on the market or people are doing right now that are like the biggest waste of time, like the biggest kind of uh, bullshit, <laughs> waste of time <laughs> or waste of money? uh wow i don't see really products that are snake oil that much anymore i think there were a few in the past mm -hmm. there was some sort of magnetic tube maybe you still remember it. it was like 10 15 years ago yeah uh products like that you don't see around that much anymore but i would say maybe amino acids yeah uh for me it's a little bit of you know it, just very expensive nitrate in a bottle because you don't know, amino acids are converted so quickly to nitrate uh i think when you blink twice uh it's already uh yeah you know, converted I, converted to nitrate uh i would agree so on, I, and, I think every sorry yeah. go ahead i didn't mean to interrupt you there uh, i don't i don't really want to I, I don't really want to trash any products because you know it, it does people it makes people feel good about doing something for the corals doing yeah. something for the tank <laughs> You can never prove it, it that it does nothing. 
also so it's very hard to trash it uh beforehand without any evidence yeah but i i don't see any you know products that are really a scam at the moment because i would point them out immediately but i think uh you know uh, the hobby is moving in a very decent way and and a very you know science and evidence based way mm -hmm. in general mm -hmm. so i don't see a lot of uh, uh you know uh um, scams around at the moment yeah uh, other than you know maybe some drops that do not so much and uh, are sold for a too high price. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but I mean, yeah, for example, in your systems, you're not running uh, filter socks or filter rollers, and a lot of people are putting filter rollers on systems, and and some people love it, and I just think it's another piece of equipment that you have to maintain and and uh, deal with all the time. So, <laughs> like, you've proven that you've made it work in your systems with no, uh, essentially, what do you, would you say, detritus uh, filtering medium. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's it's a little bit of the the printer cartridge uh, uh, business yeah. model. Yeah, the filter the filter rolls. Uh, Great business so, model. So I, <laughs> yeah, so so I think for some people that that don't want to, uh, you know, uh, they don't do water changes or don't want to, uh, you know, hose off the detritus every once in a while, it's a very good solution. But but for us, you know, it's we do water changes anyway, and the detritus accumulates in one corner. We suck it off. Yeah. And so for us, you know, filter rolls will be an extra expense and something to keep in check, something to maintain. So for us, it doesn't doesn't make sense. But maybe for someone with a smaller home system. Yeah, it's a it's a very, you know, um, a very handy piece of equipment. So I, I, I wouldn't say it's, you know, it's it's a waste of money, but but. We would never use it. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, are you? What are your sumps like? Are your sumps? Uh, do you keep live rock in the sumps, or like what's what's the situation like down there? Dark. Yeah, right now we use. Um, yeah, they're dark. They're actually made of uh, HDPE. They're very big uh, plastic boxes, mm -hmm. um, and um, they're you know totally empty besides the skimmer and return pumps. It's uh, it's not divided in any different sections, so it's basically one big section mm -hmm. that uh, you know maintains the the stable water level by a by float switch. Yeah, and it's completely empty. We run all the system systems without any gram of media, so we don't have any biomedia in any system mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. Not one, not one single live rock in any system. Oh so wow! Okay, that's also that's also something that you know is not possible. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> and we still do it, you know, and and we never run into issues uh, with uh, ammonia or nitrites or interesting or anything. Uh, yeah, yeah. So basically, yeah. your biomass of your system is your corals, your fish, whatever is growing on the racks. Uh, yeah. You know, if there's a little bit of accumulation of coralline or whatever. Uh, but other than that, there's really no media. There's, there's so your only real surfaces for bacteria are your tank surfaces. Yes, pretty much. Exactly. Okay, yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> I feel like yeah. that's that's a uh, something for people to consider because you know there's there's always been this trend to just add the more rock the better, the more rock the better, the more surfaces the better. Um, but those surfaces are also places for detritus to accumulate, um, which is. You know, it's questionable. Like my understanding of detritus is that most of the most of the bad things that might be in it are kind of bound up in it. It's not essentially going to be leaching constantly, but I think at a certain concentration point, um, you might start to have a problem. 
Yeah, for sure. I think in the case of a power outage or um, if you uh, really stir it up too much or, um, you know, some cases it, it can actually leach back. Mm-hmm. And I think then you have a big issue. But, but you know, we did run uh, media in the beginning when we just started up these systems. Um, but we just took it out little by little, just, you know, uh, as a part of maintenance, just rinse it a little bit. And we were just like, yeah, why, why would we add it back? Mm-hmm. And at some point, we just took it, took uh, the media out completely. Um, yeah, and it's still running perfectly. Yeah. Um, I, I do have to mention upstairs, we are currently cycling the new systems. Mm-hmm. And we are actually cycling the new systems with uh, fresh live rock. Yeah. And with some biomedia, we put in the downstairs systems for two, three weeks, mm-hmm. and we then move them upstairs uh, just to transfer the, that yeah. you know bacteria and all the microorganisms. So we do cycle the systems with live rock and, and media, but we just take that out uh, little by little when we yeah. add the corals. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that's cool. Um, I I helped a friend cycle a system about a year ago, and we brought in a box of live rock, uh, like the reef live rock, like the it's manufactured, but it's kept in the ocean for two years. And that system cycled so fast. Like it was, you know, like there's something about that bacteria straight from the ocean that seems to have some magic to it. And it's not surprising, obviously it's your, it's the natural bacteria from the ocean. So yeah, for sure. If, if you look at the rocks that we just, uh, gunned in the systems upstairs, they're full of sponges, uh, yeah. small copepods and everything. Some people will say, like, uh, they're flatworms, they're crabs. You know, maybe they're inside. We don't know. Um, we will, you know, uh, deal with them before any coral enters yeah. the tank. But I think the, the, the benefits are so much greater than the potential hitchhiker you will introduce um, that we, we always cycle new systems with uh, at least a small amount of live rock. Yeah, fresh. It, it could definitely save you six months, even a year of, of troubleshooting. Um, starting from a drier, more barren, or, you know, if you're doing bacteria from a bottle, I just don't, I don't think there's a great bacteria product on the market. Personally, uh, what's your opinion? Do you guys dose any bacteria? Do you have any products you particularly like? Well, we don't any, we don't dose any bacteria in our, you know, system downstairs. In our, yeah. uh, no, not at all. Um, I don't think that makes any difference to add a few drops on on so many liters but but anyway upstairs um we we with the initial cycle we added some uh nit- 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 uh, some you know bacteria to to increase the nitrification mm-hmm. just to keep the ammonia out you know to some extent to save the life on the rocks potentially if it works i have no idea mm-hmm. uh if it makes a difference um we're not really looking into one brand. Most of the times, I'm just combining a few brands of uh, of uh, startup bacteria, and yeah. that's it. Yeah. Um, it could also easily be some ammonia in a bottle. I don't know. Without mm. any bacteria inside, I could run a few experiments. Just you know, try to plate them out to see what the actual plate count is of those uh, of those liquids. Mm. Uh, but I haven't done that yet. Yeah. Well, it sounds uh, like you're getting yourself in a position uh, with your facility to do a bit of experimenting, which is going to be super cool to see what you what you guys figure out. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I build a I build a small uh, small room upstairs to do some uh, some spawning uh, experiments, 
and I'm still a teacher in university for two days a week. Mm -hmm. um, so I can also work uh, with students at the university or upstairs uh, to do some uh, coral experiments or microbiology experiments. Yeah. Cool. So what is your background? Um, so it's then? very cool. Uh, what is your background? Uh, my background, I, I studied biology and uh, business administration. So okay. <laughs> Makes uh, sense. <laughs> yeah, first business administration, uh, worked for a couple of years and then, uh, you know, made the switch to biology and currently working university. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and actually now I'm combining the two. Uh, it, it took a while, but uh, uh, I actually figured out how to combine the two. Yeah, together. yeah, it yeah. sounds like the perfect yeah. combo for you. <laughs> it sounds like you got things Yeah, going. yeah, exactly. You're yeah, in a good yeah. place right now. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah you were saying about aminos, um, I was gonna mention, I, I think I agree. Um, I wouldn't say that they're useless. I think it's a very case-by-case -case basis. Um, but my experience with them is um, that they help in a system when the nutrients are low, uh, but overall they haven't. I haven't seen much benefit from them when my systems are are you know like in that uh, nutrient range we talked about. Uh, it, it definitely has yeah. not made things better. If anything, it's just made some corals get a little bit darker in a in a brown chocolate kind of way, and not in a more vibrant, colorful way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which you know. It can have benefits definitely to, to feed the corals a little bit, but you know, my opinion is that you can also just add a little bit of nitrates mm -hmm. instead of very expensive amino acids because they're converted so quickly by the bacteria into nitrates anyway. So unless you just gonna bombard them with a lot of amino acids at once, um, let them soak in there for a while. I, I heard some people do like amino acid dips mm -hmm. together with other elements maybe that can make a difference but mm -hmm. in general i think you can also just add a little bit of nitrates mm -hmm. but yeah. this is a i think a very unpopular opinion uh mm -hmm. i'm just uh you know i've just passed all the the, the all the products and yeah tales. i mean i i love that it yeah. sounds like you don't really do anything fancy like it's it's essentially you you know you use the, the tropic marine marine salt is obviously a very good salt brand and you just kind of keep everything in line with with that water chemistry but you're not really adding any yeah. product that's like uh some extra solution that you think adds adds color or, or or growth or vibrance it's just very straightforward yeah i think a lot of people when when they ask me like what me method do you use or what products do you add they always think I'm hiding something but yeah. <laughs> there's just nothing there's just nothing to it uh yeah and it's also very unsection uh, unsatisfactory for for people when they say like yeah I'm just doing the standard balling I'm adding calcoals or mm -hmm. just a lot of light a lot of flow and that's it you know that yeah and, and people are always looking for a product or a piece of equipment then that brings them the success they want to have and yet it, it, it just doesn't work like that, yeah. uh, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, um, it's an ongoing uh, kind of fantasy among reef reef hobbyists that we're going to get some new product that's going to be like, this is going to be the thing. My shit's going to do better than ever. And it's it, there's yeah. very few things that will make an immediate change. And usually like like it's the most basic things like get your phosphates up, get your nitrates up check your iodine like do you, when's the last time you thought about iodine <laughs> you know yeah and i think a lot a lot just comes with looking at your corals and and um you know being able to interpret what you are actually seeing mm -hmm. and how they are doing because i think for a beginner it's very hard to 
to uh, look at their corals and really see, you know, if something is off, what potentially could be off and, and look in that direction. And they don't, you know, if, if you have the experience, you don't have to start at zero every time, but you look at your coral and you exactly know, okay, I have to look in that direction. Most times you find it, sometimes you don't, and you have to keep searching or ask other people with more experience or different experiences. Uh, but I think that's the that's the most important thing. Just observe your corals and 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 learn learn to uh, observe, how they be how they how they behave and learn yeah. to to observe. I think that's that's one of the most important things that you 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 just cannot buy that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you also you ha you really have to experience it yourself. Uh, it's also hard to tell someone else like look uh, look at the coral. It's um, you know it's having to to less nutrients, it needs a little bit more phosphates, a little mm -hmm. bit more nitrates, or it needs more flow, or it needs to be higher in the tank or lower in the tank. It's just something you learn over time. And, and yeah, yeah it's sometimes I, hard, hard to accept. No, I totally agree. It's uh, the little things like uh, the uh, sort of the tissue of an Acropora. If you really look closely, does it look thin? Does it look kind of fat and sort of like, yeah. you know, kind of juicier? <laughs> do the yeah. How do the polyps yeah. <laughs> look? When you look at the polyp, do you kind of see zooxanthellae on the actual polyp or is the polyp kind of faded? Um, there's so many little things that you can start to pick up on. I think, uh, you know, a really good sign of, uh, of, of healthy acros, especially, is just seeing a lot of axial growth popping up. Especially when you, I mean, fragging yeah. will trigger it, but if a coral is just actively wanting to put out growth tips all the time, then that's probably a good sign that that coral is is in good health. Yeah, for sure. If it if it it base if it's still basing out, so forming new base, if you see like a growth edge on the base and a lot of actual growth, yeah, you're definitely doing something right. Yeah, uh, and and you know if growth, if, if sometimes the acro also doesn't grow for a year. Yeah. And then, you know, you change the location and it or starts to grow chop, again. So, make a little cut or something. Yeah, make a cut, a make a chop. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so um, you know, I, I, think, I, I think the same for you. You still learn new things every month or every day um, about your corals and about how things interact with each other. Uh, and if sometimes things still work differently than you initially thought. Uh, so it's something that... that you know, still, you know, you still learn every day. I yeah. know it's a cliche, but it's it's really true. Yeah, it's yeah. a constantly evolving hobby. And I think also as you get more experience and you get better results, um, your your standards become higher for what you consider looks good. Because if I have people come over, I'll, I'll immediately be like, yeah, this one's not looking that great <laughs> right now. This one's kind of meh. And it's like all like 95% of the other stuff looks freaking awesome. <laughs> and I'm just I'm all focused on these two or three that are just not looking that good. Don't judge me. <laughs> and people are just like, your shit looks so good. Like, Shut up. <laughs> Yeah, but it's, you know, it's those two, three, four corals that really tell you if something's off, you know, yeah. um, uh, because those could be the first ones, you know, that, that start a chain reaction of things going bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, but we tend to focus on on the negatives sometimes. I think yeah. that also goes for many, many hobbyists. Um, but we should, you know, sometimes take a step back and just look at the whole tank and think like, wow, this is yeah. actually an achievement right because you you try to keep a piece of the reef in in your home yeah and uh that's uh, that's still not an easy thing i think no and especially i mean you're keeping corals from different regions different parts of the world like you know trying to keep them in a, in a mixed reef or a, or the same system it's 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 actually pretty amazing that we're able to 
to keep all these things in harmony with each other. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh, oh, we didn't talk about pH. Um, there's a bit of a trend in North America to, to get a little bit obsessed with pH right now. It's a, it's a big topic. A lot of people are dosing calc. Um, it's been on my radar to try to have less of a drop at night. Um, and my reason for that is I always found if something is going to go sideways and start peeling, it's always in the morning. It's always after the pH has been low. Um, and I have definitely noticed, um, just, I've lost very few corals in the last, I'd say year since I've had elevated pH. Uh, do you have a range that you kind of shoot for? Is it something you pay a lot of attention to? We do monitor, uh, pH constantly. Um, it's not something I really, you know, keep a very close eye on, but also probably because we dose uh, the bulling, which keeps the pH, you know, at a at a fairly high level anyway mm -hmm. you don't you know you don't work with a calcium reactor adding any you know uh, uh, carbon dioxide so yeah. uh, next to that we add a lot of uh, calc water as well yeah around six, 60 liters a day actually wow it's quite a lot yeah yeah so so pa and we do have a very big ventilation system so the air gets exchanged um if necessary, four times an hour in the whole facility. Mm -hmm. So we always have very low CO2 concentrations in the whole facility anyway. Okay. So our pH ranges from 8.2 to 8.6, roughly. Okay. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, it's never lower than that or higher, higher than that anyway. Um, but you're right when you're saying if you see a coral uh, STN, it's always in the in the night or in the morning. Yeah, I feel That's like that, the the bad mojo happens at night. It's it's you know I don't know I I more corals may be more susceptible to certain strains of bacteria. I'm not sure. Uh, it'd be nice to get a little bit more science on why corals yeah. peel in the morning. But uh, yeah, yeah, and I mean I definitely will say since having elevated pH, my range is uh, eight point three to eight point six, uh, which is a little bit of a wider swing. The point three swing, I'd like to narrow that down a little bit if possible, but um, seems to be doing well for me. I mean, my corals are growing faster than ever with the higher pH range, like for sure. Would you say the same thing yeah. for your systems? Well, we always ran. I, I just I used calcium reactors for a short while in the old facility before, but always combining it with calcwasser. So so mm -hmm. we never actually ran into very low pH anyway, below I say eight. Yeah. We never ran ran into that. So I cannot really, you know, um I cannot really say uh or compare it to any any other experiences, but um I definitely think higher pH makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um I think there's possibility of going too high, you know, you get into issues with uh, precipitation or um, uh, other issues like uh, certain ions getting out of solution. But I think it's very hard to, to go that way with normal calc washer. And, and yeah. if you're not getting into the sodium hydroxide and, and yeah, those totally, compounds. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, yeah. Uh, which, you know, uh, I think everyone, everyone that want to experiment with that, I think they should go ahead. Yeah. Because they can potentially bring the hobby much further again. Uh, but we definitely don't want to go that route. Um, so calcwasser for us uh, combined with the balling is, is good enough yeah. for now. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and running calc as a, something you add to your system is it's not a huge commitment. Um, like if you say you just have a small system and you just want to start dosing 
I don't know, like, let's say five mils a minute or something like that. Um, you can just set up like a, you know, a reservoir, mix a solution of, of calc at a low concentration and just dose a little bit at night with a constant speed doser. And you're going to get a little bit of pH benefit. So, um, yeah, yeah. I think it's actually one of the, the easiest ways to, to maintain alkalinity in, in calcium. It's easier yeah. than a calcium reactor for sure. It's also easier than, than, than a two-part system. Uh, well, nowadays you have the, you know, the all-in-one systems, of course, which are also easy to use. Yeah. But other than that, I think it's one of the cheapest and easiest ways to, to maintain your alkalinity and calcium uh, levels. And at the same time, it, it also benefits, you know, if you have high phosphates, it can also, yeah. uh, to some extent, lower your phosphate a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it has many benefits, uh, uh, mainly the, the, the pH rise, and mm -hmm. it comes at a very low price. The only thing you have to keep uh, in mind is, is is the potential of overdosing it and, uh, you know, raising your pH too high too quickly. Yeah. So uh, you should, uh, you, you should uh, you know, uh, make sure you, you don't, uh, you know, pump uh, the yeah. whole uh, batch yeah. into your, Good quality into your tank at once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, um, the quality of the calc, I think, goes a long way, too, because if you're dosing a lot over time, if there is some extra, uh, you know, impurities in there, that's going to be magnified. So I I've, I use good quality calc. Um, I'm, I'm yeah. a big advocate for that because it's cheap enough anyways. You might as well use the good shit. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we do use it in bulk nowadays, uh, yeah. but we always I think it goes for all the elements that we add. Um, we always go for food grade. Um, so if we have to make big adjustments, um, like for say strontium or, uh, we have to buy some calc, we always go for the food grade, uh, yeah. version. So you, you are always sure that, uh, you know, especially the, the heavy metals and everything are, are at a very low, uh, very low concentration. So, yeah. uh, it's safe, it's safe to use for your tank. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, here's a funny question. So... <laughs> I think I know what you'll say to this, but if you were going to pick one thing to focus on, so say that you had, let's talk lighting, flow, or water chemistry. If 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 two of them could be just totally average, like decently average within an acceptable range, and one of them could just be totally knocked out of the park, which which of those would you choose between lighting, flow, and water chemistry? What do you mean with knocked over the park? I mean like better or worse? like way better. Or, you know, that extra bit better? I think I would go for flow. I think flow, flow is uh, super important. Um, at least to keep your corals alive. And yeah. I'm talking about acros, right? Um, yeah, well, now that I think of it. <laughs> it's it's a hard question. Well, I, I, <laughs> maybe I have to think about it longer. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I'm saying, it's, yeah, it's, it's like the the holy trinity, right? It's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe water, maybe water chemistry then. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially if you start with small frags, lighting and flow are less crucial. Yeah. So I think, yeah, maybe then water chemistry. Yeah. Um, but very closely tied with uh, flow, I think. Yeah. I think lighting, you know, it's lighting is. Very beneficial, of course, but to keep the corals alive, I think uh, the other two are more important. Yeah, 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 and I mean, lighting obviously you can you can fuck up lighting, but um, you know if yeah. you're if you're just starting with the preset like an AB plus kind of preset, um, you're probably yeah. gonna do fairly well with lighting. 
Um, yep. So speaking of lighting, are you running all LEDs? Are you doing any mixing of T5s or anything? Or what's your lighting setup like? I'm going to sound very old school, very old, maybe very old. Uh, but yeah. uh, <laughs> we are, um, you know, mostly still relying on T5 lighting. Yeah. Uh, in some cases, um, it's 50-50 uh, between LEDs and T5. Some are more... LED heavy, some are more T5 heavy. So in most systems, we run a combination of the two. But I would say uh, most systems are, are dominantly uh, lighted by T5 lighting still. Okay. Yeah. Is yeah. that a trend in Europe overall, would you say? Or is that kind of more from your coral farming perspective, your favorite light? It's my favorite light because I have a lot of experience with it. Mm -hmm. I know how much I should add, how long they want to have it. Um, I know how the corals react to it. Mm -hmm. So it's just, first of all, it's just a habit. I worked with them for, I would say, 15 years already. So, you know, I know they can grow coral very mm -hmm. well. They sure can. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm using more and more LEDs um, of various brands. I'm using Orfec, I'm using the Ecotex, I'm using Refactory. Yeah. Um, so a couple of brands just to experiment, just to see how the corals react to it, to it compared to T5. I do like the radions a lot, but at this point I wouldn't really, you know, uh, I, I, I don't feel any, uh, I'm not sure enough about them to really replace them yeah. Full, yeah. For, for, you know, to fully replace the, LED, the T5s for LEDs. Yeah, I'll be honest, um, like I don't love radions on their own, um, but if you add some other supplemental bars like Reef Brights or Orfex, they, they just get that extra little little pop that's missing. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I similarly, I, I do still really love T5s and I've kind of, I, I've taken a bit of the training wheels approach to uh, moving to LEDs. I added some bars onto my ATI fixtures and then I eventually got a hybrid, uh, one of those um, aquatic life hybrids. So I, had, I went down from an eight, eight bulb to a, to a four bulb, but then I added radions and then I kept the bars. So I've got this combination of bars, radions and T5s and they all kind of run at a different cycle. Um, and I'm trying to see if I can get away with no T5s because I mean, let's face it, it's kind of a shit lighting source like from a financial perspective and a heat perspective. Um, but it just fills, it fills the tank so well, it blankets the corals with light so well. And I think that's why corals respond so well to it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think we're in a little bit on the same path where you're a little bit more, you know, advanced on yeah. yeah, it. I'm trying to, yeah, a little bit ahead. I, I just try to gradually, you know, um, um, move into that direction as well. Um, but also for the systems upstairs, I had to make a decision. Are you going to do mm. LEDs? Are you going to do T5s? Are you going to do halides even? You know, mm. everything was on the table. Um, but in the end, I still chose to do the, the T5 uh, LED hybrid uh, yeah. solution for now. But I do have one system that has six Orfec bars and six uh, uh, T5 bar, so that's really going into like the 50-50. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe in the future I will just uh, you know add uh, four or five more Orfec bars and see if I can run that system totally on on the Orfec bars. Yeah, because those bars really fill the tank up pretty well. Yeah, uh, as well, like very similarly to to uh, to T5s actually. Yeah, 
So that's maybe a solution I, I, I try to, uh, to, to go into. But, yeah. you know, for now, it's also just, uh, you know, T5s is still, is still so much cheaper to at least to purchase. Initially, I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, initially, I think running them long term is definitely more expensive. But if you have to, you know, um, build a whole farm using all radions, it's, that's a huge you know, upfront you, cost yeah you, you can buy a car you can definitely yeah. buy a car <laughs> yeah. from that so it's uh, it's still something that's going to be gradually changed uh, mm -hmm. into into leds for for us at least yeah so you, i'm assuming are you running mostly five foot uh t5s then yeah only only yeah. five foot T5s, yeah yeah because the five foots are are extra efficient they're essentially like an extra foot um of of output in a, like it's a six foot amount of output if you were to go on the three two three four feet wattages yeah yeah, yeah. so they're bright i mean i remember testing uh an ati eight bulb five foot at the water surface and it was like 800 par or something like that it was crazy high <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah if we um we run uh this system behind me we run a, an ATI hybrid fixture, mm -hmm. so that's a four times 75 watts of LEDs in the middle. Yeah. Then you have eight uh, T5 bulbs, yeah. and I put uh, four XR15 radions next to it, Whoa. just you know, as an experiment. <laughs> yeah, they're not. If you all switch everything on at the same moment, I get like 12, 1300 par at the surface. Wow. <laughs> um, mostly coming actually from the T5. So the T5 really, you know, the output is crazy. Yeah. Um, of course, they're not running all at the same time, uh, at the same time of the day. But um, yeah, yeah, it's just a, it's just a fun fact. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, the, the, those those especially those ATI hybrid fixtures are are far monsters. For yeah, sure. they are monsters. Yeah, but but you yeah. you can bake an egg on on top of it. Yeah, it's, uh, I bet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what are, do you do you have a par range you kind of uh, keep the majority of your acropora in that you kind of shoot for? Yeah, uh, most acros we keep between two fifty and five hundred uh, yeah. bar. Um, most, you know, the typical uh, Valida, uh, Millipora, Microclados, uh, Nasuta, yeah. all those species we keep a little bit on the higher side. And for us, the tenuous actually do better a little bit on the lower side, between 250 and 300. Mm -hmm. Their coloration is much deeper. The polyps are much more extended. So while some people have the experience that tenuous does better at very high par, for us, it's, it's better a little bit on the low side. Mm -hmm. Um, I agree. I but on the agree. the more that yeah, really oh, okay. Yeah, quick. With tenuous. So yeah. so uh, on the, on the edges on the tank is roughly 250, 300 par, and in the middle you you will get the, the more the, the hot spot so yeah. to say with uh, 450, 500. Yeah, yeah. I would say. So um, how, how about you? What's yeah, I would say very similar for my systems. The outside edges get around 250, 300, maybe a little higher, and then towards the center, I think my surface is around 500. Um, and probably where the highest acro is actually getting hit with light is probably four to four fifty. So um, probably yeah. I'd probably say I'm fifty par below you, but um, similar range for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. What acros? We have a couple of uh, yeah. What acros would you say love light the most? I mean, I would probably say milliporas can take a lot of light. Milliporas can. I think they can take. Yeah, I wouldn't say unlimited, but I think you can go up to a thousand par. Yeah, it would be fine. Yeah, wow. <laughs> uh, it's just a matter of getting them used to it. Yeah. Um, I think mostly all Australian colonies 
Some of them actually we keep a few centimeters under the surface uh, in the middle of the tank. So they mm -hmm. definitely get a little bit higher par. Yeah. Um, I think all Australian corals can have a lot of par. Uh, Milliporas for sure. All the shortcake species, so yeah. to say, especially the, the Australian shortcake species. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, they can have a lot of light, a lot of flow, and they actually, you know, otherwise they, they won't do well, actually. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, the if, if I've I haven't uh, gone diving in the Great Barrier Reef, but apparently all the best diving is just you know within uh, you could, you don't even need to dive necessarily. You could probably snorkel and swim down and see most of it right up close. So it's not a super, it's a pretty shallow environment, which makes sense for 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 those corals taking a lot of light. Yeah, clear water, you know, uh, open water in most cases. Those reefs. It's different than, uh, you know, the, the more turbid reefs in Indonesia mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, yeah, so so for us, uh, you know, the training corals um, in general receive more light. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the, the farm I visited in Bali uh, back earlier this year, uh, it was, the tide was coming up, but, and it was also kind of, I think either at the end or the beginning of the rainy season, but it was dark like it was not <laughs> bright it was murky and no. it was dark and i mean maybe two or three hours before that when the tide was low it would have been shallower and and there would have been much higher uh you know sunlight reaching the corals but it was i was surprised i was it got me thinking like maybe we do need to consider a little bit of seasonal variation or um, monthly variation to our systems where we run the par lower for a day or two or um I mean, obviously, every once in a while, I'll feed a heavier feed day. Um, yeah. But I think maybe some of that variation is good. Like, do you think corals get a little bit too used to, um, you know, per perfect conditions or kind of like, can that be a detriment? I think as a farmer, you try to sell more resilient corals to your customers, right? Yeah. That's at least one of our, you know, main goals. Try to, you know provide our customers with resilient aquapora but um so yeah i think some variation really you know separates the weaker species from yeah. the stronger species that we actually want to farm um but we actually on purpose do variate the temperature for, on a yearly basis so in the winter we definitely run a lower temperature than in summer mm -hmm. also to, you know to cut the cost a little bit but that's definitely you know the same thing as you see in nature yeah, yeah. um but also you know alkalinity it it, it would be it will be a fantasy if I would say it's running con super constant. Mm -hmm. You know, our, our alkalinity, because the, the consumption is so high that, that sometimes, you know, you, if, if a host comes off or yeah. something happens, uh, dosing pump malfunctions anyway, uh, alkalinity can drop like 0 0.5 points in one day. Yeah. It, it happens. Yeah. You know, and... If I, as a customer, would buy coral that has been grown in super stable environment uh, without any, you know, any variation in water mm -hmm. quality or water temperature, I wouldn't really want to buy that coral. I want to buy coral that, you know, keeps life when I screw up sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I, so, I love being able to know, say that uh, I have a couple of corals that have survived crashes and I can say, like, this coral is hardy. It survived this thing yeah. happened and this thing happened. There's a torch that I've grown a lot of that came from a system that was just, 
like very neglected and I've grown like I've probably grown like 200 heads of this torch by this point it's so hardy you know and it's nice to be yeah. able to say that like this thing will do well in a system that is shit so yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> well that's actually I think one of the added values that we have over you know corals that you import because you know sometimes I have customers like why would I pay the same price for a frag at your at your place I can also import a coral from yeah you know, for the same money, that's like four times bigger, you know, but these are the added values that we actually, you know, that we actually give to to, to the corals that we provide um, next to may, you know, corals being pest free or, yeah. um, you know, uh, on top of their coloration and everything. Um, so, yeah, I see the variety in, in parameters and temperature and everything uh, more as a, you know, a natural selection in, in some sort. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just, uh, you know, keep them, the corals that can adapt uh, well to these conditions. Uh, we will keep them and, and try to farm them uh, further. Yeah, yeah. And so I mean, we, don't wor we don't worry about them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, I mean, you lose a certain percentage of those maricultured colonies um, for really no apparent reason. Like they can come in looking great and then, you know, within a week or two, uh, just start peeling. Especially the tenuous, I find, are, are, are particularly sensitive. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but you're right. I mean, I think it is, it is, the, it, it's our job to just sell hardy, healthy corals. I, if I'm chopping anything that is, is imported, it's going to have been in my system for at least six months, you know, hopefully a year. Um, and I'm not, yeah. I'm cutting well away from any of that base tissue. It's, it's all new growth that I'm cutting, it's, yeah. you know, so, um, you yeah, know. that's, that's the same rule we, we apply that, that all, uh, frags that we make and that we sell is skeleton that grew in captivity. Yeah. yeah. So um, you know the colony, the center of the colony can be still the the maricultured or the wild piece, but the frags that we break off all grew uh, in our systems. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a general rule we have as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I've seen yeah. uh, the the same very coral that I have fragged some of the new growth off of. I've seen the colonies peel on me out of the blue for no apparent reason. And the frags that were made that I that I had grown past the sort of initial colony size uh, do totally fine. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's another reminder to make some backup frags of your yeah. most uh, precious uh, colonies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. What is your quarantine protocol? Like you, you do have QT systems. Um, yes. Kind of how you how do you kind of take it from a imported coral to the point where it moves to one of the main grow systems? Um, well, first of all, we don't, we don't add a lot anymore, uh, anyway, because we yeah. don't have any room. Yeah. Uh, but if too. we get, <laughs> yeah, if we get like one or two new, you know, colonies, sometimes a little bit more, uh, if we get a few new colonies, they will go first into a potassium dip combined with uh, more commercial dips based on pine oil, pine oil, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, so they will go into that for 10 minutes. Then they will go into the first quarantine tank and it will be dipped every week so okay. we will take them out dip them and it's important to say that all the colonies are cut off their bases and all the non-living tissue is basically cut off mm -hmm. immediately before they even enter the quarantine tank um so yeah they will enter the first quarantine tank uh will be taken out be dipped then they will move after two weeks to the second quarantine tank because, you know, otherwise you maybe, you know, between the dips, you keep infecting 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the corals again putting them in the same quarantine. So at, after two weeks, we uh, place them in our QT2 system, and they will be in there for two more weeks. Uh, we'll be dipped again every week, and then we move them to um, uh, one of our small systems. Uh, that's one of the main systems. So one of the more you know mm-hmm. systems we also use for you know our mother colonies. Yeah. But it's not connected to the biggest system yet. Yeah. Uh, and we will put it in there for at least a couple of months to let it grow out a little bit to see how it behaves. And you know, if we're really sure that it, you know, is really free of any pests or any like any weirdness, mm-hmm. sometimes this the coral just doesn't look, you know, yeah. looks a little bit weird or it yeah. grows weird. We don't risk it. Sometimes yeah. we just toss it or we dip it again. And after you know, after it's doing well and it it behaves in a normal way, it can potentially move through the biggest system yeah that's um, pretty pretty vigorous uh quarantine protocol but it makes sense well you, if you see the yeah you, you have the same i think uh if you have you, i collected so many corals over six seven years uh you know and some of the the corals are like as big as well bigger than dinner plates now yeah yeah i don't want to risk you know i, I don't want to risk it for one or two new corals yeah, you know no, it's totally it, it, not it's worth a it. no-brainer yeah. so um and i'm actually to the point that upstairs uh why i built the new upstairs system is all the mother colonies are gonna move upstairs so yeah. uh they will be in a separate uh, 800 gallon system uh completely physically but also you know um also uh by by system separated from all everything that happens downstairs mm-hmm. so all the frags downstairs will be uh, separate from the mother colonies and basically upstairs nothing comes in and nothing comes out anymore mm-hmm. at least not up to a point that we're super super sure uh that the corals are healthy so mm-hmm. we just try to keep it as a vault for our most precious uh, species and and keep them separated from the rest yeah yeah so you know and and Nowadays, you see a lot of uh, antibiotics and all those dips. We we try not to experiment with them because I'm I'm also scared for any resistance and and introducing any resistant bacteria into the tank at some point. Yeah. Um. So I think our regular dips and just doing many many dips uh, over the weeks is is um you know it works for us yeah. uh, very yeah. well. And if yeah. you lose if you lose a piece, then that's probably just an indication that that piece was not. Uh, not yeah. meant to be in the first place. Yeah, yeah. And, and I have to say that that's maybe, I don't know if that's a very popular thing to say, but if we find in our initial dip when we import the corals, if we find any flatworms or other pests, we actually toss the coral. Yeah. We don't even, yeah. we don't even, you know, introduce it into the quarantine yeah. tank. Yeah, because I would think yeah, um, so, so- rebasing it would be a solution um you know if you can get around any tissue that you know isn't live acropora tissue um you know you should be able to eliminate most of the possibility but i mean those those worms don't all always come off in a dip you're not guaranteed right that's what i mean yeah Yeah. so if we find you know we we dip the colonies one by one Mm -hmm. if we find any flatworms it's just you know it's a loss for us uh, (laughs) see you later yeah it's just not it's not gonna happen you know um yeah, it's I, yeah. Yeah. I just get it out of I just get it out of the building as soon as possible. Yeah. I had um a shipment yeah. of some Aussie corals uh maybe last year and um there were there were acropora eating flatworms, but they had laid eggs on the styrofoam floaters 
that the acros were on in the time they were in transit <laughs> wow yeah but the yeah, thing so, with those so, aussie you know, acros is that they're um they usually don't have any base uh nope. that isn't coral so um they're fairly easy yeah. to, to dip and isolate um so in that case if i saw the flatworms on them they just went into qt and got regular dips and that was fine yeah yeah, definitely, you know, in in the beginning, um, six, seven years ago, I, I definitely, you know, treated all the corals that came in uh, that had flatworms. I just treated mm -hmm. them for a long time. Uh, they went through the quarantine. But I'm at, I'm at a point right now that I have so much to lose, actually, yeah. that it, it's – I know one coral, it's still, you know, it, it's still a lot of money to to purchase it. But it, it really, you know, it, it's nothing compared to everything we – we accumulated in here so it, it's just not worth the risk mm -hmm. not even to treat it and i just don't trust it anymore uh, mm -hmm. so so i'm at the point that i'm i'm just you know trying to keep it away from uh, any uh, any system uh, quarantine or not uh, it's just going out at, yeah. uh, at this point that's yeah. awesome yeah it sounds like you have unfortunately it yeah yeah that's yeah that's great. yeah and again well, you know, um, we're happy yeah. Again, like we were talking about, it's, it's something that you're able to guarantee as a seller. And I saw on your website that you actually have a pest-free guarantee, um, which, yeah. you know, yeah. compared to somebody buying a mariculture colony, like those farms have a lot of pests in them. It's not uncommon. Um, those new Acropora eating flatworms, the little purple kind, those are rampant in the farms. And they're way harder to treat than the other kind of flatworms. They're smaller. Yeah. They lay eggs scattered all over the place. Uh, they do a lot more yeah. damage a lot faster. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's sure. no joke. And, and, and no, it's no joke at all, especially not in a farming situation, right? Uh, there, there's like a lot, of, a lot at stake for sure. Um, yeah. So you know, that's a, that's a, that's how we do it. And um, I think you have similar similar regimen, right? For for the quarantine, also yeah. quarantine, and then a separate tank, and then. The main system yeah so right? um well it's nice i have an lps system that has no sps in it so it, yeah. when i bring in an order i actually don't dip it right away i just feel like the corals are stressed enough from traveling so they just go straight in the lps system and um yeah and then i can take my precaution from that point on uh and mm -hmm. the sump of the sps is it's a nine by four tank it's pretty big um so i put a big section that's that's an sps section in that area so they'll start in the main lps tank they get dipped, they get moved to the lower section, they get dipped, and then I have another system I can move them to, or I can move them straight to my main system. But usually at that point, I rebase them and give them a final dip. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. I, I've got, it's like, I have a, a pretty good eye for it. I can see around the base and, and get in there and, yeah. and you know, I, I know what, what to look for. So, uh, but you know, you can always be surprised. So um, I'm kind of thinking now after talking to you that I should have another, another stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's just uh, several valves or gates that you, you know, that you can build in before, you know, getting to the main system. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the more gates that you have the safer it is. Um, do you ever like, do you have a, some sort of habit of dipping any of your, you know, uh, corals that you're having growing in the farm? Do you have a yeah? I dipping, dip. Do I you dip ever things dip the mother colonies or yeah? I do. I do sometimes um, just to kind of check on things. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the main things I do is I take a really bright light at night and I just go around all the corals with this bright light and I see if I see any any white or recession or anything around the base, then it, it has to be inspected and dipped. But uh, 
yeah, luckily things have been great for quite a quite a while now. Um, but I definitely have seen pests come in, in in shipments. I mean, they have been in my quarantine system 100%. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's uh, <laughs> the reason that we do it, that's for sure. Yeah, um, I yeah. think, you know, in our case, when you accumulated so many corals that your, you know, your import rate is not that high anymore. Um, you know, the risk is not too high that you yeah. that you actually encounter something. But if you have like a, a store or whatever that has have imports every week, then, you know, all your system will be infested if you don't have a good uh, quarantine system, yeah. uh, for sure. Yeah. yeah, because, you know, what you said, the, the pieces from Bali, but also Australia, they... They just contain a lot of pests. Yeah. Uh, some of them very, you know, in in the sometimes it's just fermented snails, mm-hmm. which you know are yeah still a pest, but yeah. uh, you know they're not deadly. That not a parasite. So much. Yeah. No, but yeah. but in some cases it's it's uh, some bugs or some flatworms, and mm-hmm. that's that's much worse. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, and I mean I think in the case of say the Aussie corals, they collect and then they bake them in their facility for a certain amount of time before they ship out, and those facilities probably have flatworms in them you know yeah like it's it's probably a chance that it's you know coming from there yeah. but i'm sure they're in because in nature there's going to be biological control uh for those kind of things so yeah yeah to say they're but... still they're still going to be in there but just probably one or two individuals you know the rest is just uh eaten by you know some natural predators but yeah, uh, yeah the, totally. the soon as you put them in a holding tank that's uh that's not uh, there anymore so yeah 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 Cool. Uh, I got one final section here. I feel like this has been great chat. We could probably wind down here. Um, this is yeah. a, a rapid fire questions, <laughs> but I right. feel like I know the answer to some of these already because we <laughs> okay. already, you already said some of them. But uh, so let's let's do this. So, uh, favorite right. fish. If you could pick one fish. Uh, Acanthurus uh, guttatus. I'm not saying Scientific if I pronounce name. it in English. It... Just a, I think a mustard tang. Mustard tang. Mustard okay. tang. I don't know that tang. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. It's so not a very popular one, but I I love it. Okay. I don't know why. Okay. I'm, I'm gonna look into it. Uh, favorite yeah. SPS. Um. Uh, wow. Uh, well. You can say a species. You can just say Acropora. Acropora. <laughs> Acropora for sure. But I'm yeah. just thinking which one. You know. But. Let's keep it at the Acropora. Okay, yeah. yeah. It's supposed to be rapid fire. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> favorite LPS? Fungia. Okay, yeah, they're cool. Uh, favorite softy? Uh, Fiji leather. Mm, nice. Yeah. Fiji toadstool. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, favorite lighting source? I think we already know that it's T5 for you. Yep. Yep, okay. Uh, and this one also, we kind of went over favorite product line. If you could pick just one product line to use. Uh, Tropic Marin. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> favorite salt, probably Tropic Marin. <laughs> pro Reef. Yeah. Pro Reef. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. favorite aquarium controller. I don't know how much experience you've had with various controllers, but. I only have experience with the uh, refactory products. I'm not sponsored by them in any way, yeah. uh, unfortunately. But no, <laughs> I, I only have experience with the reef uh, reef keeper and the dosing pumps of refactory. Yeah, I I like what they do. Yeah, um, I I know people have mixed opinions, but this is a rapid fire. Uh, yeah, it does thing, the job. Right? It does the job that you need yeah. it to do. Uh, it does the job. Yeah, favorite yes. wave pump. Uh, Jbao. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I'm hundred percent 
Jay Bowing the farm. Yeah. Hundred percent. Okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And and they've they've served you well over time. Yes. Yeah. Okay. For sure. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Most hated pest. What do you think is the worst pest? Uh, bugs. White yeah. bugs, red bugs, yeah. black bugs. Yeah, they're hard to treat for sure. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, are you familiar with Polo Reef? In, out of New York. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yes. Okay, yes. so this, yes. is, this is the final question. So if you if you had the financial means to do a Polo Reef style setup in your home, would you do yeah. it? Uh, no. No? Too much? Too no. much responsibility? If I had that amount of money, I would go for like a farming setup. Yeah. With maybe this, the same amount of, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, same amount of uh, tanks, same amount of uh, volume, but yeah. only farming. Yes. Okay. Let's yes. say a farming setup that you can put on some diving gear and actually get into. That'd be kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, that will be nice. Yes. Yeah. Yes, well, sure. it sounds like you're kind of living your dream anyways. So uh, <laughs> for sure. I think it's yes. a, a good place to uh, close off. But um, yeah, Leo, thanks so much for talking today. This is awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was very nice to talk to you. Um, I'll be following you for a long time, so we're nice to chat, uh, chat, uh, you know, face to face uh, yeah, today. Yeah, totally. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll keep All in right. touch. Cheers. Okay. See you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Reef, featuring Leonardo's Reef. Again, if you want to check out his website, it is leonardosreef.com. And if you have any suggestions for future guests. Uh, want to just ask us a question, make a suggestion, make a criticism, whatever you want to say, uh, feel free to reach out at beyondthereefpod at gmail.com. Remember to like, share, subscribe, and leave us a review. And if you're looking for high-quality aquacultured corals in Canada, please check us out at fraggarage.ca. Hope to hear from you soon.